On last week's episode of Isolated But Not Alone, I continue to discuss burnout and one of the myths that I feel large mental health agencies, especially in rural and isolated communities, tend to propagate or at least don't resist. And that myth was, in order for you to be successful as a therapist, you have to work for a large community-based or large mental health agency. On this week's episode of Isolated But Not Alone, as I continue to discuss the dark side of mental health agencies, and I'm going to reveal two more myths, so stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. Welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. So on this week's podcast, we're going to be discussing the myths that I feel surround large mental health agencies. Another big myth is that they can provide more for less. This has often been my experience when dealing with larger mental health agencies, whether they be for-profit or non-profit. When they are working from the more aggressive business model, they seek to make decisions based on that model. What I mean by that is, is that the mental health field is a very lucrative field. Some agencies are able to tap in to that, meaning that They can tap into the available resources that exist, whether through direct billing or grants or other types of resources to provide mental health services in the community that both benefits the community and allows them to build really nice buildings or continue to expand. And I can think of many different agencies I've had experiences with that are constantly in some type of expansion, where they are expanding into a new service or into a new location or into a new building. And maybe you've experienced this as well, where you've seen these large mental health agency buildings. They're very extravagant and luxurious and elegant. I can think of a couple right off the top of my head where they have either built brand new large buildings or they have rented spaces in brand new, recently built large facilities or large buildings. And it's so interesting because when you think about that, it seems diametrically opposed. Meaning that if these agencies are providing these necessary services at very low cost or no cost, How are they then able to make so much profit in order to be expanding constantly? Because in the end, you need capital. You need fresh resources in order to expand. And so I think the the myth here is that they somehow, because of the services they provide, are altruistic in their methodology. 
meaning that they are providing good quality, wholesome services for folks who can't afford it or folks who are underinsured who aren't able to afford it as well. And I think sometimes that's a a myth that is propagated because if you have the right type of mentality and utilize a more aggressive business model, there is a lot of money to be made in mental health. And I know that I have been very clear from the the get-go of this series is I don't want to disparage people from utilizing mental health services because there's already a huge stigma against mental health services. And let me give you a (laughs) kind of a personal example of that. Recently, I opened up my business and had kind of like a grand opening, right? And I am funding all of this myself. And so I did it the same time that the community was doing a community-wide holiday celebration where businesses are able to participate, open their doors, have snacks, treats, food, and allow the community to come in and see their business and things like that. So it was like the perfect opportunity. And I always come from the business model of being creative and wise and a good steward and a giving person, right? Which is an opposition to the more aggressive business model. I would say it's the exact opposite of the aggressive business model. And so because of that, I have to work smarter, not harder in a way. And so that's why I utilized this opportunity to also open my business so that I wouldn't have to spend a lot of upfront capital in order to advertise myself. I would just participate in a community event where this was already the purpose and be available to interact with the community in that regard. It was kind of funny Like, of all the businesses, we had the least amount of flow, meaning that as we observed other businesses and reserved the foot traffic into other businesses, we were very minimal compared to those. We had the cookies and treats. You know, we had the good stuff. So you would have thought that a lot of folks would have come in. Plus, we were a new business in a very small community. And in my experience, a new business in a small community is very much the talk of the town, right? People want to come in and see this new business. They want to see what's going on. They want to see this glimmer of hope that the community is growing, especially in times where it seems like small, isolated communities are dying. And even with all that momentum, we were still the least traveled. And it's funny because the community actually put boxes in certain businesses where people could like tally their their visits so they could get a prize. And we were one of the places that had that box in order to continue to help build that new business. The community wanted us to have that one of those boxes so that more and more folks would come into our business. On more than one occasion, people would be walking by the front door and you would hear one of them say, oh, hey, let's go in and see this new business. (laughs) And then you would immediately hear the other person say, I'm not going in there (laughs) as if something about a mental health agency was scary to them. That if they came through that door, it meant they were either going to have to admit they had mental health issues or they were going to somehow get mental health issues by walking in the door. And it happened so frequently that I was kind of astonished that the stigma of mental health still exists 
and is still very strong despite all the efforts of folks to help address and correct thinking in reference to the stigma that exists around mental health. Even with all that work in rural and isolated communities, there's still that stigma. It's still very strong. And I give that story to illustrate that there is a stigma with mental health that exists, and it runs very strong and deep in rural and isolated communities. And that is a challenge that has to be overcome. And as I said before, that stigma is already strong. So the last thing I wanted to do was add to it, to empower it more by disparaging large mental health agencies and community mental health agencies, which provide those services. And I felt like it was something that I had to do. Because again, I think that this ties into yet another issue or another thing that occurs with these large mental health agencies. Folks who are in mental health do not want to disparage the injustices they see or maybe the harmful things that they see because they are already aware of this stigma and they don't want to add to it. Or maybe they're just too afraid to say anything, right? To have a voice about these things. And that was something I discussed in the very first podcast with some of my fears. And I've been told since this podcast has come out that I will probably not work for any mental health agency or community mental health agency in this area, period, because of this podcast. I chose to have a voice and to say something as a member of the mental health community. And there are a lot of therapists in this area who have not said anything. And I don't want to say anything hurtful or harmful about them. Everybody has their own reasons why they have chosen to remain silent. But I am curious, because of some of the feedback that I've gotten, if it's because they are afraid. Because they are afraid of what these mental health agencies might do to them in response. It's not something maybe as villainous as lawsuits or silencing or anything like that. It may be very subtle, which is you're not going to be working and you're not going to be able to provide an income for your family because you're not going to be able to get a job because you have spoken up and out against the way that things are done. And society likes to protect the way things are done. And we see that throughout history. So that's one of the big myths. And I, like I said, I just want to come back to it. I don't want to disparage anybody from mental health. There are still excellent therapists who work for not great agencies. And there are great agencies that have therapists who aren't the best. And there are good private practice therapists. And there are private practice therapists who aren't the best. That is just the honest, authentic truth about the field of mental health, just like other fields. We've all experienced this. I can think of the times I went to a dentist and I'm like, whoa, on the scale of one to 10, with one being dentist is amazing and 10 being, I don't even know how to rate 10. You know, we've been to dentists that are at a 10, right? That we're not gonna go back to. And we've also been at dentists that are amazing, right? And that's kind of the same thing with mental health. And I, I want to continue to reinforce that is that you are the consumer. You can choose the therapist that you want to see. And for the most part, the majority of therapists will work with individuals so that they can receive mental health services. 
And that too is another part of the myth of they can only provide such and such. And private practitioners, for example, cannot provide that or are unwilling to provide that. When I am aware of private practitioners who accept insurance, who accept MA, who have a sliding fee schedule. And this is something kind of interesting that recently I was made aware of is that there's a local mental health agency that is a community-based mental health agency, which literally exists in order to provide for the community and all the community needs for those who are on one end of the wealth spectrum all the way down to those on the other end of the wealth spectrum. And they have a sliding scale as well, but it only goes down so much. In fact, when I found out how much it went down to, I was actually shocked because I, in my private practice, charge a lesser rate on the top of my sliding scale that they did at the bottom. So that leads into the myth that these agencies are somehow not being aggressive in how they do business. And this is going to lead to the last myth I'm going to talk about, which I felt was very prevalent in the mental health world, meaning that therapists and businesses all kind of believe this. But it's still a myth, and I've seen it happen. And it's happening currently in the community in which I live, is that Mental health agencies, especially nonprofit, community-based mental health agencies, cannot fail. They are a staple in the community. They cannot and they will not close. Because not only do they third-party bill, not only do they have the most access to government monies, they also have the most access to community-based resources through the county. So they cannot fail. And yet... They do. And we see that here in our community right now. That this agency, a community-based agency that's been around for decades, that had millions of dollars of surplus at one point. And in one of those locations, pulling out of school-based mental health, crisis mental health, in-home family services, And if you're not from this area, you might not understand what that means. So let me paint you a picture in the few remaining moments that we have on this episode. Imagine you are a single mom working hard, maybe multiple jobs, underinsured. You rely on the school-based mental health services for your child who deals with depression or maybe a child who deals with anxiety, or a child who deals with ADHD. And your child goes to their weekly session that they have come to rely upon, and there is no therapist. The therapist is gone. The therapist they've been working with for a year, maybe two years, is no longer there. No explanation, no discussion on when they will be there. They're just gone. Can you imagine how that might increase symptoms of depression and anxiety, that there might be acting out, especially in a young person. Let me give you another example. Let me paint another even more bleak picture for you. Imagine now that you have come to a place in your life where there is no hope. In fact, the only hope you have is to be able to end your life. And yet part of you reaches out and calls out for help and you call that line and they talk you through some things, and they want to provide help. You need somebody right there 
face to face to speak with you in that moment and there's nobody available. Even six months ago, if you had called, somebody might have been at your residence within a very short time, a trained specialist in crisis mental health to sit in that moment with you and to help you. But now that person's not there. There is no person to send. These and hundreds, maybe even thousands of different variations are currently being played out in the five different counties in our surrounding areas, in an area where it's already difficult to access mental health services. The myth is these large agencies cannot fail, and that is just not true. They can fail. They can make poor financial decisions, and they can double the effect of those poor decisions by adding more poor decisions on how they address those financial problems, how they address their staff. And next week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about my experience at this mental health agency, watching these things taking place firsthand. So again, if you like these podcasts, please like them. Please share them. Give me a review if you want to. Reviews are the fastest way to get information to me that I can digest, think through, and improve myself and the podcast. Again, thank you and take care. Be safe. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health. And we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated And maybe you are, but you're not alone.